There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi everyone, I hope you're well. And although we've wrapped up the regular end of week market maker podcast for 2021, I've got a slightly different episode to bring to you. And if you've never listened to one of our career insights, then this is where I talk to people across the industry from different roles, different backgrounds, and we learn a little bit about their journey and what makes them tick. The goal to hopefully extract some useful takeaways for any young person looking to embark on their career. So I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so I'm joined by our guest speaker, Jane Housen today, who's a senior vice president at Salesforce in a global sales leader excellence in enablement team. We'll talk a little bit more specifically what that is in a moment. But by way of introduction, she's a, she's a champion for inclusivity, success for all, and describes her values as authenticity, courage, and belonging. Not only a leader in the workplace, she's a woman, a mother, and is now, thankfully, in remission from cancer. And so, Jane Housen, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, look, just to give you a bit of structure to the, the conversation, I normally do this by talking about in two different ways. Firstly, the journey, going all the way back typically to sort of school, and we could discuss about what was that like and the kind of the setting and your career ideas back then yeah. uh, and, and what that path looked like. And then we'll talk a little bit more specifically about the kind of lessons learned on the back of the entire journey. And so we could delve into things like, you know, working in Salesforce, being exposed to the world of, of tech, uh, diversity in that industry, being a woman in, in business, in a senior role, um, all of these different kind of um, areas that I know a lot of young people are quite interested to know, what's it really like, you know, as a career insight rather than the kind of superficial top layer, if you like. And so I'd love to get into some of those details, but perhaps then going back to the beginning. So taking you back to, I guess, high school, was there yeah. much plan of action at that point? No, no. Well, yeah, I just want to say love these types of conversations and I love going deeper than the top layer. So this is really great. Um, 
I was thinking about preparing for this earlier. And I think the interesting thing when I talk about my education is I am the I don't have a very strong academic background. Like I never had a huge love for education. Um, for me, school was more about making friends and life experience. <laughs> As an adult, I've done far more around learning, which is actually quite ironic when I lead a global enablement organization, how little love I had for school, but it wasn't a huge thing for me. I grew up in a very, very small village in North Wales. At the minimum in my school, there was only 15 people in my entire school. So we spent far more time <laughs> outside playing in the forest near the school than we did actually learning. And I had a huge shock to the system when I went to a high school that had 500 people. And, and at times I think it was a little bit lost, but I um, had incredible people around me um, and a couple couple of really little moments that kind of helped me get ready for the way of work and um, one thing is I was I was working from very very young so my my dad was a true entrepreneur he had me waiting on tables before I was 10 and he had a massively huge gift of the gab which I learned very early I learned how to upsell a dessert when I was about nine um <laughs> which was really good for me um I had a granddad who was the most incredible storyteller so I got really good at building relationships and an incredibly empathetic mother and big sister who taught me how to maintain and relations with people and learn about people and it was those things I think I learned when I was um growing up and then when I got into my A-levels I'd done quite well in my GCSEs much better than we thought I was going to do and I selected my A-levels and I selected biology thinking it was going to be great because I'd got an A in my GCSE and I realized that photosynthesis wasn't just a diagram it was a whole chapter and I was like oh no <laughs> I absolutely can't do this academic route. And my school said to me, the only way you can stay on doing one less A-level is if you do work experience one day a week. And I was really lucky that my mom, I lived in this tiny village and there was one person, this one lady who had a job in the village, like a professional career, worked for Barclays in Manchester. Um, and so every Wednesday for two years, she drove me the hour journey over to Manchester and I worked in Barclays internal comms team. So at 16, I was running huge team building events for these massive execs and it was incredible experience. I had mentors that I have kept to this day who really guided me through and said, you should go into a career in comms and media and marketing. So that so, was so was university even then, was it a question of should I even go then if you're already kind of semi in the workplace? Yeah, it was. I mean, I was definitely one of the first people, like a handful of people in my village who had been to university. Very few people from my school going, we came from big farming communities. You tended to go into your pet, your family's business, which was farming, not into university. So it was quite rare. My sister hadn't been to university, so I was the first person in my family to go. I um, was desperate to leave, so I wanted to go to university to get out there, but it wasn't about doing the course. My parents always, my mum always proudly said it lends, her course lends itself to work. So I worked pretty much full time the whole way through university as a waitress and very good money. Um, I was a very good saver. So, and I had to fund myself through because of the family who hadn't have any money either. So kind of funded my way through there. I did a, a marketing degree and a um, communications media degree, which was a combination, a mixed course that we, that we did that was great. But because I'd learned about work experience, what I did at university was I, 
I found from Barclays that I really liked the marketing creative side of it. So I ended up getting work experience at a few London agencies like MNC Saatchi, Saatchi um, Mother at the time. And this was back in 2000, where it was very cool to work in London. Agency. Um, so, I, I mean, my whole kind of school life was all around work and work experience. OK, and then just just give us a bit of a, an idea then what it is that you do at Salesforce, because when people here who are not part of Salesforce, your division or your oversight, perhaps it's a little yeah. bit mystique with mystique, it. So what yeah. is it? So Salesforce, famously fastest growing software company in tech. It's an absolutely incredible business. I joined in 2014 um, where we were very small by comparison to where we are as a business. We're growing incredibly fast. Um, and what comes with that is a huge influx of sellers that we are bringing into the business. So Salesforce is around 75, 70,000 people. Around half of that are our distribution organization, our selling team, and we need them to be successful quickly. We are ramping them quickly, we want them to be selling quickly. And my organization is the enablement arm of that. So we train all of those individuals from onboarding onwards to be successful in their careers. Okay, well, well, look, that kind of then leads us into some of the first areas to, to explore, I guess, because, well, for one, help, helping people to become, <clears throat> I guess, more confident at selling a product or a service, which is kind of what your team, it sounds like, does. And that's one thing where my interaction with students is I meet some incredibly outstanding academic people, um, but... I, I'd say perhaps they've not had the waiting on tables at nine years old experience. And so that kind of interaction ability, yeah. which obviously is essential when you're working in the workplace, particularly in a large organization. So is it, have you got any advice around that kind of how to gain those skills if it's something that's not, say, you've been exposed to or comes natural to you? Yeah. I'm sure you encounter people at Salesforce who must be, there's some who are natural superstars and some who maybe you need to work with to get that potential out, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's important to say is that like salespeople, successful salespeople don't all come in one mold. I think there is a, there's, it's very easy for us to say we want everyone to be an absolute extrovert and the kind of salesforce people you've seen on TV. And that's not true because that doesn't reflect our customer base. If you think we're going to be selling to people who would potentially find it quite annoying if we were always the over enthusiastic and um, extrovert the whole time. So that shouldn't be something that kind of makes people think that's not something I can do. I think what's important is having a want to build connection with people. And personally, I think that all comes from curiosity. Like if you right. can genuinely be interested in the individual, you will be successful. And I think giving yourself space to be curious just a little bit longer all the time is great practice, whether that be at home, with your friends, with your family, with your uni friends, whatever that might be, just be curious, like ask more questions. That's what builds relationships. Yeah, no, I, I, always, um, I always say to people, like for, for me, it's because I, I have a slightly unique childhood where I grew up in a rest home. So I had to listen to old people's stories every day. And you just got quite good at like, just listening to people. Yeah. And then obviously, once you start unlocking these incredible stories from like the world war and things like that 
you're just like, what's that? And how did this happen? And what, what how did you feel about that? And yeah. yeah, I just remember that being quite informative for me at that age as, as to, I guess, yeah. skills development going forward more long-term. Completely <laughs> agree, completely agree. And I, I have this conversation with a lot of people. I mean, I have the privilege of working with lots and lots of clever, very, very bright people. And they often think they are the cleverest person in the room and have a lot of coaching conversations with somebody, but you may be, but you don't know everything about everyone else in the room. So don't, mm. you don't need to pretend to be curious, just as you're saying, Anthony, it's like that kind of a, like you will unlock some amazing stuff if you just listen for a little bit longer, be genuinely interested. So do you ever find it difficult then where, say where you sit and you've got these very technical people who are say working on more software engineering side, you've got the client side who just have a problem and want a solution. And then you've kind of got the salespeople over here who are pulling on just kind of, you know, hitting quota and that type of more, yeah. um, that orientation. So is that quite a difficult thing to, to manage these personalities? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair to say. I think the, the only way you, you are often managing lots of different personalities, lots of different priorities. So mm. there'll always be a constant battle within the technical world between producing great product, producing great customer success and driving a growth number. That's just, that's just the, that's the beautiful friction that drives growth, having those two things happening. I think the challenge is always trying to find the single thing that everybody cares about, which should always be the success of our customer. So you should always be rooting everyone back and connecting the dots back is the only way you can be successful to say, yes, we want to produce the right product. This customer wants to drive growth quickly. We all need to get to work together quickly to get that customer growth. So I think Salesforce is very good. And we are very focused at putting the customer at the center of every decision-making process that we make. And that makes things a lot easier. Yeah. How does that interaction happen? Is it like, do you do focus groups? Do you do like just consultations and like how do you actually get that recurring intel then in order to like optimize from across the teams right it's just their their interactions from the yeah no from across the teams yeah and the thing i was thinking whether you met with customers as well yeah so from across the teams constant interaction (laughs) like there's there's the ability to um we like drink our own champagne we use our own product we're users of slack so we have constant channels of communication that are open between our teams the whole time and making sure that we're collaborating in the right way around things so that's one thing is like just making sure you're all in the same place talking about the same thing and then we are then we proactively make sure exactly as you said that we've got governance around creating things so things like steer codes and community groups and all those things to constantly make sure we're hearing all voices all the time. Okay, cool. Well, there's a few other points I'd like to cover. So one of the things I saw when I looked at your LinkedIn, doing a bit of stalking prior to the conversation was like this, you, it looked like you were in like the O2 arena and you had on like this Madonna mouthpiece and you were talking yeah. to like, I don't know, 15,000 odd people. What was that? <laughs> what yeah. was that experience? But more importantly, that can lead us down the track of like delivering in front of a lot of people, because I guess presentations are quite a a regular component of a lot of people's job. And I know a lot of people aren't naturally have been exposed to that situation. So it'd be good to get some tips from you on that side of things. So what, what was that event to start with? 
So that event was back in 20, when we were all allowed to be together in big <laughs> venues. Um, yeah. I think back in 2018, 2018. Um, so Salesforce run an event every year um, in the UK called World Tour London. Um, we tend to have big events all around the world. Um, and we had around 10,000 people at the events and then another few hundred thousand people watching online. Mm. And we run keynote sessions so in those keynote sessions we tell customer stories and I was lucky enough to tell the story about Adidas and talk about how Adidas use our product right from their marketing through to their sales and then their then their service so that's what I was doing okay how did you feel doing so okay so we've got 10,000 in person you're in front of you've got a couple of hundred k looking virtually so talk me through then the the routine how did you prepare for that so I, I have I felt absolutely terrified I think that's <laughs> and I think a level of nerves is quite important I love I love a stage I love an audience that helps but I was still really really terrified um I was prepared incredibly well like I think you have to prepare very very hard for those sorts of things I probably only had my talk track a couple of weeks before but then from that I had hours and hours of sessions in front of people literally saying my talk track over and over again and being prepared for them to you know critique that quite strongly to make sure that it landed on the day um and then we also had live sessions the day before where we had to walk the room and not everyone will have seen it but there's a there's a Salesforce style where you presenting the round so you're in the middle of a room and then you have to walk through the audience so that's quite orchestrated to get you to walk around and be in the audience so I had a lot of support to get there and is is there I mean how how do you personally handle that pressure moment is there any type of thing that you fall back on like a mindset routine yeah so um I think a, a really important piece of training I've been given I've always been told is that you should and, and Antonio are literally just talking about this, you should present to 10,000 people as you would present to one person. So how you're seeing me talk today should be exactly the same as I should talk to 10,000 people. And I think a way to survive that is to find somebody in the audience, even if you don't know them and they don't need to know you're doing this, but you really focus on having a conversation with them and really focus on if they're nodding and smiling, they are interacting with you because it's terrifying if you're just seeing a wall of people. So if I'm mean, if you're on a Zoom call, just, just find somebody in that room that you can connect with. I think that's something I found really important. Um, I think another thing is to say that nerves are really good. Nerves can make you better. As long as you go, this is normal that I feel like this. And you kind of thank those feelings that they're making you prepared. And then you just go, but I've got this and it's going to be okay. Um, and the third thing is never going to go that wrong. So I think like you can go through it. Like if you stumble both over your words or physically stumble, it just is more entertaining for the audience and just know <laughs> that it's that authenticity is what makes you likable as a presenter. So that's how I prepare. And then I usually like have a bit of a cry afterwards because I'm like so exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, one of the things I'm interested actually, because students at the moment have done a lot of their applications for jobs virtually and having spent, you know, having people missed entire school years and, mm. and being delivered only via Zoom. There's a lot of people who they don't feel that comfortable with Zoom like doing like a virtual format. Have you encountered that with any of the workforce and you've had to work on like oh. the virtual side of things? 
Yeah, hugely. It's really hard. And especially as we've got people, we tend to train people who are brilliant. At, we've trained to build human connection. And that human connection mm. comes from being in a, in a room with people. So you teach people how to read the room and how people have different roles in the room. And then you lose all of that when, it, when we went overnight, obviously, to virtual. So, yeah, it's been something we've all had to get very used to. Um, I would say one it's like it's practice I think and just knowing it's different like accepting it's different accepting everyone's finding it a little bit harder um and then just keep practicing leaning into it is the only advice really we have for people Hmm. okay well look let's um I I just wanted to talk about before I go into I think an interesting area will be you being a woman in the workplace because you know diversity cross industries whether tech or finance is a, is a big issue at the yeah. moment but before that your your values that that I mentioned at the very beginning I just wondered where they come from and like what do they mean to you and how how do they influence kind of your day-to-day from a yeah professional personal way of just going around you know doing doing what you do so yeah it's really interesting values isn't something I used to talk about before I started Mm. Salesforce but I think it's so so important and every I have I'm lucky enough to coach a lot of people and have lots of coaching moments with people and I always say you have to start with your values because they're something that will stay relatively constant throughout your life now you, you might you don't I'm not saying you write them at 18 and they don't change by the time that you're 50 but the core of them remains the same it's actually interesting you said that one of my values is belonging very recently I changed that to connection because I realized that for me it's about human connection um so I think values are really important I'm really there's some online exercises you can do to help find your values just really encourage and we can send links if that helps to just to find find what those are um so for me, like I said, my three values are authenticity, courage, and it was belonging, but I've changed that very recently to connection and I can explain why. Um, so for me, authenticity is important because I just don't have, like like you said, I'm a mom, I'm working quite a big job at a, global, at a global scale. My hours aren't always lovely. I just don't have the energy to be anything other than myself. And so how I turn up here will be how I turn up everywhere and I and if people buy into that then great not everyone is going to but this is this is how I am and I really want everyone else to feel like they can bring themselves um to work in the same way and if I ever worked I always say values should be the thing that you that you lose sleep over like if you're in an environment where you've had to act outside your values or you're seeing outside your values that should be the stuff that you find hard and if I I'm in an environment where I think people are being asked to be something they're not, or I'm being asked to be something they're not. That's not an environment that I'm going to be successful in. So that authenticity for me is really important and knowing that it takes all sorts to make up teams and we should all be able to bring ourselves. Um, courage for me is like critical. I think courage is one, like, would you run into a burning building? Would you do a marathon? There's like those kind of big kind of audacious things that you do but courage is often about like in yourself are you willing to accept something that doesn't feel acceptable like sometimes good people do bad things and bad people can be good people bad think people who've done bad things can be good people there's these really challenging things particularly when you're in big leadership roles that you just have to accept is have to have the courage to go that that gray is okay and to live in that space I think courage is 
very, very important. Also, the courage to make people question how good you are or what people think of you because you know you're doing the right thing. That takes immense amount of courage. And I actually have seen people younger than me, 10 years, 15 years, younger than me, 20 years, and they're going to be coming into the workplace and they've got so much courage about standing up for what they believe in. And I have huge respect for that. So I think courage is something I really hold true to because I don't think you can move forward without courage. And, and the last one around connection is, I mean, I just love meeting new people. I love it. There's nothing like it. Like whether that be somebody in a coffee shop or a taxi driver or someone amazing at work or somebody phenomenal that I get to meet because of the job I have. It's just cool, isn't it? Like, and, and building those connections that you can, that you can then leverage in the future. Like this is, this is where the kind of salesperson in me comes out. It's like, I've now got a connection with somebody that I can leverage to get something that I need or the business needs. And I think having the ability to build connection is really critical to me. What, like going to nursery? And meeting meeting all those fantastic people, those fantastic are, the parents. parents of our children. <laughs> exactly, and I just think life is a life is about those connections, and I think that's something we have a massive risk of losing. Um, I've got nieces and nephews who are like 15, 13, and I can see it's so much harder to build those connections because of the lives that we lead. Whereas we grew up where. Like we went to university and then we sat in the canteen and we couldn't do anything other than talk to each other because there was nothing else to do. And that ability to build connections is it will, it's going. So I think we have to really force ourselves to find new people to talk to. It's important. Yeah. Cool. And now, so then moving to this diversity question and how you see it, and I guess from your personal experience, I mean, I certainly remember when I went to the city when I was 16, my brother was a trader a big US firm at the time. And I went on the trading floor and there was about 150 guys, all as raucous as you could imagine, because this was probably 2000 and what, well, well, this is in late nineties, I guess, going back that far. And there was one woman <laughs> yeah. and she had a tough time. I mean, I was just watching thinking, my goodness me, but uh, time has moved on. The yeah. conversation has certainly changed now from 20 yeah. odd years ago. I mean, what, what's your kind of take being, you know, working in a global team in a global role at a global organization, but being a woman? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I think a couple of things, like I talked about my dad earlier. He, he passed away last year, sadly, but I learned a huge amount from him, mainly because he was incredibly tough. He was incredibly tough. And I was able to make him love me, even though he was a tough guy. So I think I've never been intimidated by anyone because I had training from a very young age. And I think, so I went into, I don't even, I've, I've very rarely been scared of someone, very rarely been intimidated. And I think that really helped me. And actually until I started at Salesforce, which was a good 10, almost 15 years into my career, I never really noticed anything around sexism because I grew up in marketing, advertising, where it's quite a, 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 a part of business is led by women there's probably more bias towards women there so I came into tech and I was like oh this really is a thing and um it still remains it because we are fishing from a pool of individuals who have grown up and been trained in that industry so we have to be very very purposeful about making sure that we have equity there that we are bringing in we're we're encouraging inspiring women to come into the organization or inspiring people from underrepresented groups to come into the organization because the reality is that reflects our customer base 
And yes. unless we're very purposeful about that, we're not going to have cognitive diversity across our teams and we're not going to be able to grow and help our customers grow. So it's something that Salesforce we very, very, very focused on. And something for me, I am, am very, very, very passionate about that we need to support women and people from underrepresented groups coming into to these brilliant careers where you can earn tons of money. We need to be bringing all of these people in. Have, have you ever thought, being a woman at some point obviously the, it's a it's a choice but starting a family have you ever thought that when you think about that career roadmap yeah. about what that could do and how do I fit that in and what's yeah. the result how do I come back to the workplace and what's the impact yeah. is that a big thing that you think about or a... it has been in the past a really big thing like it's mm. and I think it would be remiss of anyone to say it's not like it's still really tough I think one of the things I really respect um, Salesforce for is that they've really leveled the play playing field in the paternity leave is the same as maternity leave so you can take that time off so actually we do have actually it's not so primary carer whoever you are is six months and secondary carers get three months off that means we've got our very heavy by sales organization of men taking three months off which is hugely brilliant for women in that organization because it means as a hiring manager, God forbid people are making these decisions, but if you had like this person might be having a child soon, that that, that would come from, from, both, from both sides. So I think that's one thing that's important. I think for me personally, I was definitely worried about it. I had a fan, so when I did the presentation we were talking about earlier, I was 14 weeks pregnant, hadn't told anyone. I was terrified that wow. they were gonna, I, that I was terrified they were gonna tell me I couldn't present because <laughs> I was pregnant. Stress so I didn't like, the stress. <laughs> I was like, I don't want it to because I really wanted the opportunity. So I didn't tell anybody. And then the day after I, I went out, um, I had a meeting, I had a lunch meeting with my um the person that was heading up the UK at the time and I was so scared about telling him and he was like what's wrong with you this is a tiny moment in time for your whole career you're gonna I was chosen to take six months off even if a year it's a tiny we have 50 year careers like 40 year careers this is nothing and and I believed him so much and he was like you have such a long runway here that you shouldn't be worrying about this and we also need to keep the human race going. So we try, or try to, if you met my child, you might debate <laughs> <laughs> whether she's doing that well. But we need to make sure we, we make these right choices. And, and, I, and this comes back down to my values. Like I had to have courage to have that conversation, but I had to be my true self, be authentic. And if, if Salesforce hadn't supported me in that, then it's not the place I want to be anyway. Well, and, and, then, and then talking about, these kind of challenges or decisions. Another one is uh, obviously you, you became ill and this wasn't that long ago. Yeah. And there, I guess there's obviously statistics that I think everyone's aware of when it comes to you know, things like cancer and the likelihood of at some point in our lives, yeah. someone close to us or ourselves, yeah. it will, it will you know, encounter our, our lives in some shape or form. But for you, how, how have you met that challenge and how has it changed your perspective on anything now thereafter? Yeah. So, yes, I was diagnosed with um, a blood cancer called Hodgkin's lymphoma back in May 2020. May 2020 was a pretty shocking year, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah. And I was incredibly lucky. Um, I wasn't impacted by COVID at all. I went through treatment very quickly. I had... Um, three rounds, six lots, three rounds of chemotherapy, and then um, three weeks of radiotherapy. And 
as you said earlier, I'm really lucky that I'm now in remission and coming up to 18 months of remission, touch wood, which is, which is fantastic news. Um, I mean, anybody that goes through a cancer diagnosis and as statistics say, one in two of us will, um, it's completely life-changing. Um, but I can say this because I'm on the other side and I've been incredibly lucky and that is nothing to do with me that is really to do with lady luck what card you're dealt there is not because I fought harder than somebody else I really don't believe that I don't really like the kind of you fought cancer concept because that suggests that the people that don't survive didn't fight as hard and that's not fair it's just not true but because I have come out the other side I'm almost grateful that I went through it. I learned a huge amount about myself about the people around me like I am so we are all so much more loved than I think we even realize and it's very rare that you get to hear that and people tell you that when you're alive but so to be part to be exposed to that was just amazing just absolutely amazing also turns out we can do really really tough stuff like much more hard stuff and I think we're often so scared to put ourselves out of our comfort zones when something like this forces you to you realize that you're actually capable of far more than you know and I think as a leader, I've really taken that into my work to say, as long as I provide an environment where people are safe, if they stumble, um, then we should be constantly pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone because we can do some really tough stuff. Um, and I think the other thing is like, really the only thing that is important is looking after yourself and the people you love. Like at the end of the day, like I love my job. I love my career, but life is incredibly short. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So that's the other thing I've learned too. Yeah, I mean, what an incredible journey. And I'm sure, as you said, you've got another 50 years <laughs> to <Well>. go <laughs> yeah, of, of working. Um, okay, well, look, to, to, to close then, uh, one of the things that, that I've often seen when we've had our kind of summer interns who do one of our programs uh, in pre-pandemic times, when I get to um, kind of know them quite well, and, and the relationship fosters over time is that it's often more often than not um it's, it's the women who i'd say i often see on paper they have incredible like resume yeah it's like it's like, it's, it's, it's more typical that the guys are just not short of having like the bravado to just talk around any fault on a cv but often or not and this doesn't speak for everyone of course but you get quite a few women who are kind of short on just the confidence to believe yeah. in themselves even though it's all there on paper and I see it I remember saying to this one group that I, I was going through these CVs and there's this one CV that really stood out and I was like this person is like just awesome in every mm -hmm. measure academically sports extra qualifications you know doing other work experiences the full nine yards and yet I don't even know out of a group of people I don't even know actually who this is yes because they don't stand out they've just merged in with everyone else but on paper they're quite clearly yeah. a superstar yeah is there any like to I guess to finish is there any like words of advice to that type of yes. person yes I think the number one thing to say is that's not very surprising like we've had thousands of years of systemic inequality and gender like so I think that's the important thing to go is you see you're not that's not something that women have is, is a 
syndrome. I actually don't love the word imposter syndrome because it sounds like it's something wrong with you. It's not wrong with you. You've just been taught for thousands of years. This is the case, but it's not anymore. It's not. And you need to stand up as a woman and prove to your you know hopefully the generations behind you the daughters that we all have that you have as much right as everyone else and for the moment you're gonna have to stuff up out of your comfort zone a little bit more be courageous like I said I think um I think the one thing the main advice for that person in the room but for everyone is nobody is going to manage your career other than you nobody this is people I the conversation I have with everyone so many people is this manager didn't represent me this didn't happen you're like well they don't always the only reason you will be successful is if you take this yourself and say this is my plan treat yourself like a product that you have to sell and market the out of you really just have to focus on like why am I important and how I'm going to make sure everybody knows about it because otherwise you're going to be left on the shelf and get dusty so I think my biggest advice is you take accountability of your own success and then you'll be absolutely fine and surround yourself with those connections of people that love you and care for you and if it doesn't always go right, it'll be fine, but take control. Cool. All right. Well, with that, we'll, we'll wrap it up. I'm sure if anyone does want to touch base and reach out to Jane, I'm sure she'd be happy to, to connect on LinkedIn and, and so on. Um, but yeah. Thank you, Jane. Uh, and yeah, look forward to some more of these sessions in future, but with that, take care and uh, I'll catch you soon. Thank you. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.